Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today, Ron Corey, is a Las Vegas businessman, niche finder, former Brooklynite like myself, Marine, and so much more. And he transitioned from his time in the Marines to working as a casino dealer and worked himself into the position of owning his own bar. But that's not the story. That's not even scratching the surface here. And over the course of acquiring and creating bars, restaurants, a limousine service, graphics company, auto dealership, and more, we'll call that old school entrepreneurship before they really had a name for it, right? Um, he's had encountered some pretty gnarly circumstances, to say the least. Whether he was fighting bogus criminal charges levied by a corrupt local cop and court system or esophageal cancer years later, Ron has made his survival by remaining truly tenacious in the face of every unjust challenge in fact tenacity is his mantra and at his core so let's find out why ron corey welcome to the podcast thank you adam it's a pleasure meeting thank you so much and you know let's start with our major shared value here mm -hmm. i think i mentioned the word tenacity two or three times and that's something that i talk about that is so you know close to me it's everything that i do and i you know, you named your book Tenacity, and I'd love to really dig in, um, you know, to the lifetimes of learning that mirror, the merit. How would you define or describe the word tenacity in the context of your life? Let's start there. Well, it's an unwillingness to give up. It's uh, a preparedness to accept the obstacles in life that are undoubtedly going to come our way when we try to pursue unique and different challenges and grow ourselves. And without some level of tenacity, no one can really overcome those challenges. And where have you found that that tenacity inside of you comes from? Like, where is that place that you go to harness it? Well, I honestly believe I was a teenager in Brooklyn. Growing up in New York was a very beautiful and unique experience. It kind of built into you some toughness. Uh, but when I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, I believe that gave me a level of skill and belief in myself that there was no obstacle I could not overcome. And then when I moved to Vegas at the end of my enlistment and went from being a casino worker to trying to go into business for myself, I encountered the corruption you described with the city councilman who we later learned was trying to go into the same business as me wanted to do away mm. with me as a competitor and used his small town the police department uh, using an adjacent city to Las Vegas where I wanted to build a, a neighborhood casino using the power of a councilman and a small town police chief mm. to try to do away with me as a competitor 
is sort of the focal point that my book is based on. And uh, it tells a story of overcoming some of the most incredible challenges coming out on the other side and prevailing. I love it. And we'll dig into it a little bit. Let's hit the rewind button. Let's take it back to Brooklyn. Uh, and before we, we went on air, I was talking about my upbringing in, in Sheepshead Bay and you grew up in downtown Brooklyn. And that was a while back. I mean, it was a different place. It was, it was the, you know, the Wild West. Um, back in your childhood, did you ever even imagine? Did you ever even imagine like Vegas? Did you ever imagine like, you know, you know, moving halfway across the country? Was that even ever a thought? No. What did you think I, you were going to be when you were growing up? When you, I, when you were I, growing up, Ron, like, what did you think we were going to be? What was that childhood dream? You know, I, in school, I did good in math, but I didn't really want to be an accountant. I didn't know what I was going to do in life. I just knew that I wanted to do something that interested me. Um, I had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit because a group of guys I grew up with, uh, we've remained friends these 60 years. A couple of them played different musical instruments. And one day we're hanging out on a yeah. street corner and they said, why don't we start a band? I didn't play an instrument. So I said, yeah, let's do it. I'll be the manager. And it was my <laughs> mission yeah, to, to organize the band practices and right. plan a venue, put up flyers around the neighborhood, sell tickets, sell popcorn, beer, and soda, and generate a profit. And that was my first was venture stages. into business, and it actually worked. We made thousands of it. dollars that night. That's that. That's incredible. So, talking about the Marines, um, I believe you were you were drafted, correct, or did you enlist? Well, I was. What happened was I received a notice of draft because I dropped below twelve credits in college, not knowing that would immediately initiate the draft. Trigger it. So I opted because Vietnam was going on to enlist in the Marines and circumvent the draft into whatever random branch of the military they'd assign me and go into the Marine Corps to get the best possible training to enhance the likelihood of my survival if I went to war. So there was That's no plan strategy of going there. to Vegas, Adam. That was not even in my headlights. But not until you when, came out. when I went into training, the president at the time, Richard Nixon, during my boot camp announced the escalation. So when I went in, everyone who went in went to Vietnam. Before I graduated boot camp, no one was going. So I ended up being stationed in a base in California, a two-hour drive from Las Vegas. So I'd come to Vegas on weekends. And I found it to be a small town of about 100,000 people in 1973. I thought, you know, I could always go back to New York, but I'm going to give this town a shot, see if I can make something happen there. Came to town, became a dealer, and ended up going into business. Wouldn't have happened if I didn't join the Marine Corps. Were you... It's so interesting too, but I'm talking about the Marines and, and I always, I mean, my parents, my, my parents are in their early seventies and 72, they're 72. And we, I talked to them about it cause it's really interesting of that thought process back then. Were you, were you, were you scared of going to war and dying? Was it a, a duty? I mean, what did it feel like back then? I mean, I think it's important for folks who weren't around like myself to really understand what it felt like, you know, to, to have to and want to go defend your country. I have to tell you, and I don't want to come across wrong like I think I'm a tough guy. Being scared just never came into it. Um, I was looking for a challenge. I was looking for a purpose in life. And when I interviewed with the four branches of the military to decide which one I wanted to enlist in, 
I wanted to become a Marine. I wanted to overcome what they described as the toughest boot camp ever. Whereas some guys heard that and ran to the Air Force or Navy, I wanted the challenge. And being afraid about going to war wasn't in my brain set because I thought I'm gonna get the best training possible and make something of myself. And that's what I was looking forward to was the challenge. <sighs> Definitely got lucky on that one. So you come out and you're in California. Correct me, your family on the West Coast? No, I left uh, my family back in Brooklyn, but when I came out here and got into business for myself, they followed me out. My parents and my younger brother ended up moving here. So let's set the stage. Las Vegas, what was it, 1973, 74? What was Las Vegas like? There was one strip, right? It was what was current, what's currently downtown Vegas. It was there wasn't, Smoke, uh, there wasn't USA, and the high-rise hotels you see today, most hotels were two- and three-story motel-styled rooms. Small casinos. It was a different place. How, how much of it was, is like the movie casino? Well, the movie casino is extremely accurate. Right. But, but uh, yeah, actually, they used a lot of on-site locations. Uh, the, the Tangiers Hotel, which was depicted in the movie, was actually the That's landmark. The, Sands, right? the landmark hotel, landmark. which was a shuttered hotel. So they were able to use it before they demolished it for the filming. And, and many of the meetings that the Joe Pesci character who played Tony Spilatro, the real life gangster, uh, were at Piero's restaurant on Convention Center Drive. Spilatro held meetings there and they actually used the same restaurant and the same booth that the meetings occurred in. Tony Spilatro's attorney was our former mayor, Oscar Goodman. He actually had yep. a cameo appearance in the movie representing De Niro. It's, it's interesting. Uh... Were you ever like when you were a gambler growing up? Were you into cars? I mean, which was it? Was it more of a hey, I need a job, so I'm going to learn to become a dealer, or was there another draw to it? No, when I got out of the Marine Corps, <laughs> I really didn't have a skill other than becoming a cop, and uh, I was good with numbers from school, and I thought, what could I, I do without a career? The police department turned me down. They said on a psychological test, <clears throat> it was concluded I lacked the necessary self-control to be a cop. If I caught a bad guy, <laughs> they believed I would engage in street justice to be the Some jury and executioner. So they did me a favor. I had to find something to do. A friend of mine taught me how to deal blackjack. I got a job, and then I learned the other games. I ended up dealing roulette, blackjack, craps, and baccarat to make myself more valuable to the hotel. So if they had to engage in layoffs, they wouldn't lay off the kids that dealt with more games. And then I could start a family and have some, some type of security and employment. And after a couple of years of that and selling real estate by day, I ended up buying a tavern and parlaying that one tavern into 20 various businesses. Yeah, I mean, I look at I look at the notes here and casino dealer, bar, car, limousine service, restaurant, graphic, graphics, glass. And I mean, that is that is, you know, OG entrepreneurship, as we like to say. Um, before we go any further, I love whenever I have conversations with folks like yourself. I mean, I, I, I grew up loving the, the early Vegas days. I would love as, as much as you could share. Tell us one one real quick kind of crazy story from the mid 70s in Vegas. <clears throat> Well, you could walk into most of the few venues 
in this town and you could actually be sitting at a bar waiting to get served some food with the highest ranking mobster on one end of the bar and one of the highest ranking cops on the other end of the bar. And while they were on opposite sides of the law, one guy would walk by the other, shake his hand, tap him on the shoulder and go use the menu. There was Professional level, courtesy. Uh, there was a level of familiarity where um, all, all the pretenses were off when you were just hanging out and, and you'd shoot a game of pool with, with uh, the, the most successful of casino operators or a busboy. And, and uh, it was a great place to meet people and grow. Interesting. So it's almost like the democratization, like everybody was kind of once you it was almost like there was like neutral territories and professional. There was a different level of respect back then. Well, you know, right? there was a different level of from so many different ways. I was sitting in my first tavern when my cousin walked in, who was a dealer at the old Aladdin Hotel. And he walks in looking very dejected. And I said, Doug, what's the matter? He said, I just got laid off. It's three weeks before Christmas. Nobody's hiring. I don't know how I'm going to make my next car payment and house payment. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I said, we'll sit down and have a beer and we'll talk about it. And over the next 15 minutes, in walks another one of my regular customers, the casino manager of the Dune. So I invite him over, introduce him to my cousin, tell him he needs a job. He puts him to work and says, what shift do you want to work? And what do you want to deal? My cousin goes to work there in the Baccarat pit, wearing a tuxedo, and on the table, his first three months working there, meets the woman playing, who would then become his wife. And now, 40 years later, they're still married. I love it, right? I mean, that goes back to like old school networking. Before yeah. the LinkedIn, before all the all the networking sites, that's how it was done. I almost <laughs> think it's a lost art. I mean, I consider myself, Ron, a, 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 a conduit like yourself. We connect people. We connect opportunities, whether if it's advantageous to us now in the moment or later in the future or not even at all, just because it's, it's the right thing to do. What yeah. is kind of your mindset and, and thought on approach on, on connecting and bringing people together? I love making introductions because if someone passed the muster with me, that they're generally a good guy. doesn't matter what they're worth. It doesn't matter what they earn or what they do for a living. But they've proven themselves to me to be a good guy. And then over here, I have another good guy. And somewhere in life, there's a synergy. And I will say to one guy, you know what? You got to meet this guy because your pads are crossing down the road. And he could be good for you and you could be good for him. And things like that develop. And I like to see it happen. I don't ask for anything for it. I just like putting good people together and it's it's worked very well in what was a small town and is now a town of two million people. But yeah. I am so blessed from the different businesses I've had, especially something so public as four local taverns, to have met thousands of people and to stay in touch with many of them for when the need arises that someone fits a certain niche that I need. For example, I had a loyal employee that did something great for me when it was needed. And then he got in some trouble. And another friend from another part of my life was a former undersheriff who retired to Northern Nevada. His first friend ends up going to prison for five years, but because mm -hmm. he did me a solid when times were tough and he helped me out, 
I wanted to help him. I called oh, my yeah. friend, the undersheriff, and said, I heard you're on the parole board now. He said, yeah, I am. And remember Norman, he was a homicide cop back in the day. He lives up here and he's on the parole board with me. I said, well, I've got this friend that just went away for five years and I'd like to do anything I can to get him out early. They worked together to get a third vote on the parole board and got him out in under 12 months for what was That's a 60 works. month sentence. And that young That's guy forgetting the break that we gave him turned his life around, forget about what he did wrong, and is now a highly successful entrepreneur in and of his own. I love it. That that speaks to the concept of second chances. And you've yeah. had second chances, third chances in your life, fourth chances in your life, the cat with, uh, you know, with, with nine lives there. So let's rewind. And I want to talk about a little bit on the business side of all these businesses that you've had, the successes, the failures there. But take us back to one of those early lessons, Ron. What was one of those really hard? What was one of those really hard lessons, as they like to say, was learned the hard way when you started launching all these businesses? Maybe you got a little too ambitious. Maybe you got a little ahead of yourself. You started to get mixed up with the wrong folks. What was one of those early hard lessons for you? Well, you know, I think it's human nature to look for the best way out of a problem. And I don't know if this answers your question exactly, but it's a good story. I'll take a good hard. story or a good answer. I'll take a good story over a good answer most days, Ron. It could be a hard lesson, but when, when I was encountering this difficulty in an adjacent city with a corrupt councilman, and he used his small town police department to do away with me as a competitor by setting me up in a, in a fake, criminal scenario and either put me away a kidnapping thing, or, right? tie, or tie me up for two years. I had an uncle that grew up in Brooklyn in the mob. He lived in Vegas, still had a lot of his old world connections. And because some of the animosity that existed between me and this councilman was local news, there are CBS news reports of them interviewing me and him. It's in the newspaper. So my uncle was aware of it. And he comes to my office one day and says, Ronnie, I got three months to live. I got lung cancer, smoking camels all my life. Let me do you a favor. You've done me a lot of favors since you've moved to Vegas. I will whack this piece of crap and I'll never do a day in prison. And I said, Uncle Joe, I appreciate it. I that's appreciate a, it. I, that's an easy I, way I really out. That's an easy way out, and that would certainly solve my problems. But honestly, that's not the right thing to do. So I had to turn down that offer. That was a challenge for me because it that's certainly would have been an easy way out. Yeah. A lot of, lot of holes in the desert, as they like to say, right? Did Joe <laughs> Pesci say that? A lot, a lot of holes in the desert. Well, you heard the it, term 86 when you throw someone out and they can never come back. My yep. book describes the derivation of that term, 86 is based on that one-way car ride when you screwed with the wrong guy and they drove you 80 miles out of town and put you six feet under. That's what 86 did. And that's why you're never going to be seen again. Everyone everyone out there, in case you thought it was a cop term, in case you thought it was a military term, no, it's a Vegas term, <laughs> getting 86, getting booed up. You don't want, you don't want to get 86 there. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Um, you know, the... Your friends and business operators, you, you ended up with, uh, what were all the charges? Kidnapping, coercion, and a whole bunch of others. How did you end up working that out in the end? 
Well, there was uh, a, a thieving waiter that worked in one of my restaurants. We caught him stealing. He confessed. And rather than call the cops, he signed a note, agreed to pay us back what he stole, and we terminated. He goes home, and what I later learned through a private investigator I hired was he and his dad were both pretty much criminals in the drug trafficking business. Mm-hmm. And his dad said, you're not going to cop to this crime. He said, let's just tell them they forced you to confess and we'll jam them up more than they'll jam you up, especially in a city where he's got an ongoing beef with this councilman. So they go in and tell this story of me forcing him to confess by beating on him. Now, I said to the cop that showed up that night at the bar, this corrupt detective, I said, you're telling me that this kid told you I beat him up with my three managers for two hours, and he doesn't need a hospital. He doesn't need a doctor. He doesn't have a mark <laughs> on him. Are you kidding me? Come on. I should go to jail if that happened. Anyway, through an undercover investigation, my PI set up a sting where he became his this kid's friend. This kid started selling him drugs, and I told you, old friendships, old relationships. I went to one of my cop friends and said, look, these charges that that are going on, I got a chance to to fix this. He gave us an undercover detective to go with my PI. They conducted drug buys from this piece of crap. And when the drug buys grew enough in quantity to be a trafficking charge, the police department took them down and my PI wasn't even there that day. So the district attorney said to me, And the district attorney was a guy I supported in his election bid. And he said, Ron, I'm sorry, I've got to charge you because that outside city police department is twisting my arm. So the DA said to me, well, with that kid being prosecuted for trafficking, there's no way he'll be a good witness against you. I'm happy to tell you we're dropping all the charges. So it went away like that. Now, I didn't get a free ride because here's what happened. The charges were dropped. And then the Nevada Gaming Commission, whose job it is to make sure any gaming licensee does not cast any clouds on the reputation of the gaming industry, they came Mm. along and said, because your accuser was charged with trafficking drugs doesn't mean you didn't do what he claimed you did. So we're going to investigate you and make sure you're worthy of being a gaming licensee. I had to pay for my own gaming investigation, $60,000 it cost me, for them to look at everything and clear my name, which ultimately happened, but it it was quite a challenge. I can't even imagine, and this goes back to tenacity, having that inner strength to keep pushing through, and there's a combination of 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 self survival, resilience, and all those pieces that kind of come together there. So you know, if you if you're looking back on your experience as a businessman, as somebody who gets things done, and you were going to give advice to all these up and coming entrepreneurs, where it's like a buzzword and everyone thinks it's cool, what would you advise an entrepreneur not to do, and not kind of walk uh, and make some of those mistakes that you made early on? If you're going to translate it to to you know 2021 versus 1976. Well, something you learn in a Marine Corps, failure is not an option. So the what is inescapable is that is that you are going to face challenges when you try to make something of yourself. When you're not just going to take a job as a plumber or a welder or a carpenter for 30 years and retire, you're going to try to do something 
We don't know what they are, but you're going to encounter obstacles. Embrace those obstacles. Figure out a way around them. Don't let failure be an option. Don't be bullied. Don't cower to bullies. Take those challenges head on and defeat them. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Um, I you know I absolutely love it. So let's talk about what you're what you're up to now. Let's talk about the book. Let's talk about tenacity. Who is this book for? Why should they pick it up, Ron? And what do you want them to walk away with? Well, when I decided to write a book, I, I in 2015, I'd sold my car dealerships, my taverns. I was pretty much retired, and I needed to find something to do. And a friend of mine who's a local author told me over lunch, you should consider telling your story. There are so many aspects of your 45-year career in Vegas. This would make for a hell of a story. So I started writing an outline, meeting with someone who engaged in helping people write books. I ended up hiring them. And everything that I encountered in life, the, the, the book Tenacity is a 100% true story. I changed some of the names because my literary attorney said, you can use all these real names, but many of your witnesses are now dead. So if anyone who's uses wants to sue you, you'll win, but it'll take you three years in court and your book won't come out in the meantime. He said, just change some that. names. So the story's true. Some names were changed. And I think it is a great book to motivate people to not cower to bullies, to go for the gusto, go for what you dream of going for, and don't let the people that would tell you no prevail. And uh, it should inspire and motivate people to achieve great success in life. I love it. That's fantastic, Ron. And I, and I think maybe the greatest example of tenacity in your life, you, you beat esophageal cancer, which I, I believe has approximately an 8% survival rate. What do, you, what do you attribute that to? Well, you know, when I got esophageal cancer, I was 53 years old. I was in great physical condition. From the day I got out of the Marine Corps, I worked out five days a week. I'd run three to five miles a day in the 115 degree Vegas summer heat. Endurance. I was in great shape. And when the, the, the very insignificant event of me thinking I'm clearing my throat a lot, when I eat or drink, I'm constantly clearing my throat, went to a doctor and they said, there's a small tumor at the base of my esophagus where it goes into your stomach. And that's what's aggravating you and, and making you clear your throat. Right. It's actually a good thing you noticed it because we, while this cancer kills 92% of the people that get it. With you, we're catching it so early. You're not spitting blood yet. It hasn't grown and invaded your other organs. Metastasized, yeah. They sent me straight to surgery at USC Hospital where Dr. Tom DeMeester there specialized in the unique surgery of removing an esophagus. I was under an 11-hour surgery. They removed my esophagus and half my stomach. Why I'm so thin but I beat the odds. It took a year to recover. I'm in good shape and, and I'm healthy. Now I'm 16 years post-surgery and was able to tell my story in a book, which should help people not only motivate them if they want to go into business for themselves, but if they get news like, like a death, uh, likelihood of death style cancer, to find the right doctor and fight a good fight, go to the right hospital, and 
prevail over that obstacle as well. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Ron, when, when, when your time comes to leave this earth, how, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want your legacy to be? What is your legacy? You know, it means I've got friendships from all over the spectrum, whether they are elected officials, our mayor, uh, or a busboy at a restaurant that I like to frequent. And I'd like to be remembered as a guy that always remembered his friends, was always there when a friend needed help, and it didn't matter what their stage in life was, that I was a good and loyal friend to the people that mattered to me. And I think that's probably the greatest blessing someone could leave with. I love it. That's fantastic. Did you ever meet Elvis? No, never met Elvis. When he was in town, I was a casino dealer. I couldn't even afford to go to one of his shows, not to mention I was working at nights when he was appearing. I love it. I just had to throw that one in there. And Ron, you know, you, you've had an incredible life and, he, and, and you've been around, you've seen it, you've done it, you've been through all of it. But what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received, Ron, that you take action on every single day? It could be a mantra, something you say when you wake up, something that you truly believe in. There was an old timer dealer at the Tropicana when I was coming up as a dealer. I was only 21. This guy was at the end stages of his life. And we, you know, every 40 minutes, you took a 20 minute break as a dealer on your feet. And we'd sit in a break room and chat. And this, this old fella said to me, kid, you're just starting out in life. Let me tell you something. You want to be nice to people on the way up because you're sure as hell going to run into them on the way down. And I've tried to live my life that way. And sure enough, through some of the challenges I've experienced that uh, your listeners might read about in Tenacity, they'll see how some of the relationships I had came through for me when I encountered some tough times. That is that is really strong advice. And, and Ron, last but not least, you've been through it all in your life. Physically, emotionally, business-wise, you've—I mean—you pick up that book, and there's stories about being in the gutter. There's stories about you know being at some of the lowest points uh, in life. And in those moments, Ron, when you had to dig down deep inside and harness that freaking tenacity that you know better than almost anyone on this planet, and pull yourself up, and then on the flip side of it, where you're sitting now, accomplished, proud of your legacy, proud of what you've built, your family and everything, and you want to show gratitude. Ron Corey, what is your focus in life? What is your North Star? Well, I'm honored to be on the board of a number of local charities. I believe if you achieve success, financial security, and uh, you've overcome those obstacles, to give back. So whether, whether it's giving scholarships, which my business partner and I do, to the children of our local police department. We started a scholarship fund in the name of two officers that were assassinated many years ago. Um, and I'm on the boards of the Wounded Blue, uh, a charity of uh, national consequence that helps injured police officers around the country. I'm actually on that board with its founder, retired Metro Lieutenant Randy Sutton, who uh, is actually a 35 year friend of mine who was a customer at my first tavern. And we became friends and remained friends. Now he started the Wounded Blue. Uh, and if anyone's sensitive to that organization, it's thewoundedblue.org. I'm honored to serve on that board. And uh, that's my way of giving back. 
do something good for the community and help people that could use a hand. I love it. Ron Corey, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I want everyone to go check out his book, Tenacity. Where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? There's a website that gives a lot of details about my book. There's a photo gallery attached. It's roncoreyauthor.com. Corey is spelled C-O-U-R-Y. Or they could go on Amazon and order the book. The audiobook, by the way, is recorded by an actor from Donnie Brasco and Reservoir Dogs named Michael Madsen. I got yeah, to spend a week with Michael. He in the recording studio. He he recited the entire book. So you can get it in paperback, hardcover, Kindle, or Audible, and uh, find it on Amazon. I love it, Ron. Hang with me for one second here as I sign off. I I. I implore everybody out there to check it out. Ron's story is incredible. Uh, I really love, you know, the, the journey because that's what it is. The gold is in the journey and so many key takeaways here. And thank you so much for opening up and sharing stories. I love the old Las Vegas stories. Get some kind of an old soul at heart here. But everybody, you know where to find more. You can find us at thepodcast.com. Find us on all the social media channels. If you like this episode, please share it. Leave a rating. It goes a long way. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Adam. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.